You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. We are currently working our way through the book of Jeremiah. And if you've been following along uh, with the series, you realize that Jeremiah is, is a fairly heavy book that we've been talking about sin and idolatry and Israel's waywardness uh, quite often. It's, it's, it's a theme that Jeremiah circles around to kind of time and time again throughout the book. And we've, given, we've received a variety of metaphors and images that are to help us understand both Israel's sin and waywardness and then also our own sin and waywardness. We've seen how Israel has been compared to an adulterous lover who's given herself to other lovers and abandoned God who saved her and brought her out of bondage in Egypt. We've seen uh, the metaphor of, of abandoning the living water who God is the wellspring of life to, to receive and build for yourself broken and cracked cisterns that can't hold water, that can't give life. And last week, Jordan walked us through chapter 14, where we got a window into God's heart against sin and his long suffering with Israel's sin and how, how God was wearied of suffering Israel's disloyalty and ultimately how God himself would one day have to come in the person of Jesus to redeem and pay the penalty, take the judgment that our sin and Israel's sin deserved. And so this morning, we're going to pick up in Jeremiah chapter 17. And at first glance, as we first look at this chapter, it seems like it's kind of just a hodgepodge of ideas kind of thrown together. That's why the title for today's message is Sin, Trees, and Sabbath. You're like, what? Sin, Trees, and Sabbath? Uh, it, it kind of sh- it pulls it all together, um, but th- that's the summary of what today's message is. Sin, Trees, and Sabbath. And if you're wondering, what, is it, what does that have to do with each other? That's what we're going to unpack in the text today. So here's the big idea we're going to look at, that the human heart is continually wayward and prone to trust in anything but the true and living God. And our only hope is in the healing power of God, who himself invites us to receive the gift of Sabbath rest. I know that's a long main idea, but there's a lot to cover today. The human heart is continually wayward, and it has no hope in itself, only in the power of God who can give us the gift of Sabbath rest. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into chapter 17. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning as people who are well aware of our sin, of our propensity to run to things other than you for substance, for salvation. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to see where we have erred, to see where we have gone astray and to return to you. And specifically, I pray this morning, where we have failed to rest in your finished work of Jesus, where we have failed to make rest a part of our weekly rhythm, would you help us? Would you help us to receive the gift of Sabbath that comes to us in Jesus Christ? Would you reveal to us our waywardness and restore us King Jesus, we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to illuminate these scriptures, to speak to our heart. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump into Jeremiah 17. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll just kind of work our way through the first 
a few verses here, starting in verse 1. It says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their ashram, beside every green tree and on the high hills, on the mountains and in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give you for spoil. Uh, I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall, you shall loosen your hand from the heritage that I gave to you. I will make you serve your enemies in a land you did not know. For my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Now let's pause here for a minute. Uh, raise your hand if you're surprised that Jeremiah is talking again about human sin and the death, right? If you've, if you've been with us, we should not be surprised that here we are again talking about the depth of sin in the human heart. Uh, specifically, he's talking to, to Judah and, and their waywardness towards God, right? It feels like kind of that season, you know, if you're a parent, you know that season maybe with a certain child where it feels like every conversation is correction and rebuke. And it's just like we're weary of having this conversation, but yet here we are again because that's the pervasiveness of sin in the hearts of God's people. And so we're talking about it again. And Jeremiah has some pretty hard things to say. He says that sin is, it's like it's hardwired into their hearts, that they have such a habit, such a practice of sinning and these idolatrous practices of worshiping the surrounding gods. It's as if it's written hardwired into their hearts. And that there's going to be a consequences for this sin. The wealth and prosperity that they had experienced as an affirmation of God's promise. Remember, they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness and they came into the land of promise flowing with milk and honey. He's saying that heritage is going to be loosened from your hands because of your idolatry, because of your sin. And I'm going to give it a spoil to the surrounding nations. Now remember, those who were probably reading this had already experienced that loss. They were living in the penalty of sin. They were, they were living in exile. Uh, and they're reading this, remembering what caused and what brought them to the place that they were. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now let's pause here for just a minute. Jeremiah is going to give us now an image of two trees or a shrub and a tree. The first tree represents a person who uh, trusts in humanity or they trust in themselves or they trust in another person. They're looking to get their strength and their life and their hope from other people or from themselves. And they've turned away from the Lord and now still having neediness and and things in their heart that they need to be fulfilled. They're looking to either their self or others. That's the image that he gives us of this shrub. 
And he says this, this person is like a withering shrub in the desert. They shall not see any good come. Um, they shall dwell in the places of, of the wilderness, in the in, uh, inhibited, uh, uninhabited salt land. And here's, here's the big idea for the first tree or the shrub that we see. Those who trust in self or in mere human beings for their hope, for their substance and salvation, for only what God, what God alone can give them, they're like a withering desert shrub. So this is the first tree that he gives us, the first image. Now, the contrasting image is of a person who trusts in the Lord. In fact, it says the Lord is their trust. And this person is likened to a tree that is planted by water, that its roots go down deep and they they tap into that living stream of water. And so when the heat of life comes, when when the circumstances get hard, they're still connected there's still a substance, sustenance, not substance, sustenance. And so there's no fear. Its leaves remain green and it continues to bear fruit even when hard times come. And so what are we to make of these two trees? Well, uh, theologian Christopher Wright has a quote I want to read for us that I think is helpful here. He says this. He says, the poem does not blithely assert that only bad things happen to those who trust in themselves or that only good things happen to those who trust in God. Life does not conform to that kind of fairy tale theology. On the contrary, good may indeed attend the self-sufficient, self-trusting person, but he will not see it in the sense that it will bring them not, no lasting benefit. In fact, even in the midst of prosperity, such a person may find that life itself becomes a desert and their own inner person cut off from any life-giving nourishment from God, uh, from the God they have rejected, has become spiritually shriveled and stunted. Elsewhere, there may be showers of blessing, but in his spiritual desert, he remains untouched. The truth about that desert, that godless world, is summed up with masterly brevity in the three features of verse 6, thirst, loneliness, and sterility. And conversely, the person who is trusting in the Lord may well face heat and a year of drought, time of stress, pressure, suffering, and need, but even in and through such tough times, God's faithful ones need not fear and can continue to bear fruit. He sums it up by saying this, one can shrivel to death in the midst of prosperity or one can be spiritually alive and fruitful in the midst of adversity. What makes the difference is where you put your ultimate trust. See, chapter 17 is going to get at the human heart and the root issue, the root question for us is what or who will we trust? Who we trust? Will we trust in ourselves Will we trust in other human beings or will we trust in the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth? And we can relate to these two trees. I mean, have you ever had things in life um, go the way you wanted them to go? You got the job, you got the, the house, you got the, the child, or you got the, the gift. Whatever it was that you were hoping for, you, you received it and, and things went well and yet all having a time of prosperity and all your dreams kind of coming together, you still felt inwardly kind of this ache, this emptiness. 
that prosperity was happening all around you, and yet internally there was still this turmoil. There was still this angst. There was still this emptiness. Or maybe once you received what you wanted, you, you were so consumed with worry to keep it and to not lose it, this external thing that, that you just kind of you, you destroyed yourself internally by trying to control it and keep it and protect it. You were so worried about it going away that you couldn't even really receive it as the blessing it was. You see, maybe for a little while we can live on the buzz of external circumstances, of life being, you know, of, here in Texas, let me speak Texan for you, life being 70 degrees sunny days, right? We get those for a few months out of the year, and life can feel pretty good. Like, we can kind of run off that buzz for a while. Circumstances going our way, and yet what do we know living in Texas? July is coming, right? <laughs> the heat is coming. In all seriousness, the, the sufferings, the struggles, the hard times, those are coming, and the heat has a way of exposing our trust in superficial external things. When the heat bears down, when we're not planted next to the streams of living water, when we're not resting in Christ, what we find is that we wither like a desert shrub. This is the image that Jeremiah is giving us. You see, trust in ourselves will lead us to dry up and wither when the heat comes. Our broken cisterns from a few weeks ago will be revealed. And trust in God will sustain us even when the heat bears down. Even when circumstances are, are awful. Trust in God. We're like a, a tree that's planted next to the streams of living water. We have a source and a, and a life that is below the surface, that is connected to God, not to the external things or the trust in ourselves. Keep reading in verse 9. I think I already went a verse ahead and read verse 9, but we're going to reread it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at the end, he will be a fool. And here we have these verses just taking us a step further, another angle on the sinful and deceitful nature of the human heart. I love, you know, sometimes in our culture, it, we hear the words, well, do you just got to follow your heart? You know, which I get, there's some like, there's, there's some, probably some small truth there. But Jeremiah would, would be a counterbalance to that when he would say, hey, the human heart is, is deceitful. It's wicked. The, the, the inner life that you have, by the way, the heart here, it's not just emotions. It's, it's kind of the whole command center of a human being. It's the intellect. It's the emotions. It's the will. It's all kind of that. Uh, include, includes emotions, but it's not just that. Kind of in our way of speaking of the heart, it's kind of just your emotions and maybe your gut. But what he's saying here is that our inner life apart from God is incredibly wicked and incredibly deceitful. And what we want, what makes our heart happy, is often what destroys us. You see, like Israel, we have this deep engraving of sin on our hearts. We are naturally wired to trust in anything but God. And our hearts are deceitful. They trick us. We can't understand them. It's like, you know, sometimes someone asks you, or maybe you ask a child, like, why'd you do that? And they're like, 
I don't know. Are you going to work kind of like the same way? Why'd you do that? I don't know. I'm an idiot. I don't know. You know, like we, we don't even understand sometimes the inner dynamics of the heart, but it says God sees the heart and he sees through all the mess and he's going to sort it out. He's going to judge it. He's going to sort it out and, and, and set things right. Keep reading in verse 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is, it the, is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know that, I ca- that what came out of my lips, it was before your face. Be not a terror to me, but you are a refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, let, uh, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. You see... As Jeremiah is kind of unpacking the, the waywardness of the human heart, it wasn't just a theological concept to him. He had seen the waywardness of Israel. He had seen the, the centuries of their uh, misguided worship and the way they treated one another in the land. And this, this is really a plea and a cry for him, for God, heal, heal me, heal us, sort this out, fix this. Um, there's something going on behind me there. Um, This is really a cry of of Jeremiah saying, God, only you can sort out this mess, right? Have you ever looked around the sin of maybe your your own life or the sin of the culture, and you're just like, God, you're going to have to fix this. You alone have the power to heal and restore. And this is what we see coming out in Jeremiah as he's praying for both healing and judgment. Keep reading in, in verse 19, we see this. Thus said the Lord to me. So Jeremiah is going to get a response from the Lord, from his cry and from his prayer. Thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives And do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Now, let's let's pause here for just just a minute. In Jeremiah's prayer, he quotes the people, you know, in all his asking for healing and his asking for judgment, he quotes that the people of Israel or of Judah were telling him, uh, you know, where's the word of the Lord? Bring us the word of the Lord. And here in verse 19, it's like the Lord is is responding, right? Now, we've covered a lot already. But how many of you would guess that Jeremiah's response that the word of the Lord to him is going to be about Sabbath, right? That's like, we're like, what? Sabbath? That's kind of a hard right turn. Where's he going with this? Well, the Lord tells him, um, in all this talk about the human heart, deceitfulness, their trust in other things, that to, to call the people to come back and observe the Sabbath. He tells them to go out by the gates of the city, which, by the way, this is where probably if they were breaking the Sabbath and they were working, they were doing commercial or toil, whatever it was, they'd be going in and out of the city gates. And so he's saying, go and tell them to observe the Sabbath, to rest, to stop their toil, to obey my command to rest. 
You see, the Sabbath has a way of revealing and restoring. And I'll explain that in just a minute. The Sabbath and that command to rest is going to both reveal sin and restore sinners. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with with the word Sabbath, um, it simply means to cease or to rest. That's the literal meaning of the word. But it was a day set aside for rest and worship. The first mention of Sabbath in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 2, where God created, and there were six days, and there was this beautiful story of God creating, filling the earth, man and woman. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And it's not because God was tired. He has unlimited energy. Um, but it was because God wanted to delight in the work of his hands. So this is good. This is very good. So the Sabbath has, is, has this creational rhythm to it that God himself establishes. Now, Israel, if we go back to Israel's story, remember they were in bondage in Egypt for, for 400 years, and there was no Sabbath in Egypt. There was no rest. There was a Pharaoh who demanded to pretty much 24-7, seven days, not 24-7, but extreme labor, right? They're working to the bone. That's part of why Israel cries out to God. And then what does God do? He sends uh, he raises up Moses, he rescues Israel out of bondage and slavery, calls them into the wilderness, and then in Exodus chapter 20, he gives them and reinstitutes this rhythm of Sabbath. Look at Exodus uh, chapter 20. Actually, I didn't print it, so I'm going to have to turn there. Quick Bible drill. It's always fun to do Bible drill on the spot. Um, here we go. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's the command given amongst the other Ten Commandments to Sabbath, to rest. And this would serve as a rhythm that would both reveal sin and restore sinners. And if you go on reading the Exodus story, if you're familiar with the story of the people of Israel, you know that they were consistently breaking this command to Sabbath. They consistently rebelled against God's command to rest, to cease from their work. And if we look back at Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 21 that we just read, we see that that Jeremiah and, and the people in his time were continuing this pattern of breaking the Sabbath. Look at what it says in verse 21. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it into the gates of the city of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do not work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Look at verse 23. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiff, stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. See, God commands Israel to enter this ancient rhythm of Sabbath, and yet because their hearts are wicked and wayward, and unable to rest, they cannot stop. They can't stop. They keep going in and out of the city gates, doing commerce, bringing, you know, bringing a burden. Maybe they're bringing in grain, or maybe they're, they're worried about next week's food supply, and so they're going out. They're like, well, 
I really need to make sure we have food next week, which we would say, yeah, that's an important thing. And what happens is in their inability to stop, what's revealed is who and what they trust. You see how the Sabbath does that? The command to stop is a command really, hey, trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me to provide. I want you to rest. I want you to be still and know that I am God. I want you to worship. I want you to know that I'm a God who doesn't, I'm not like Pharaoh. I'm not working you to the bone. I want you to stop. And what we see in the human heart is that it's like hardwired in us that we, we just don't. We just can't. We just keep toiling. We just keep working. We just keep kind of going at it. This is what Israel did, and this is what we often do. They just couldn't stop. They had to keep gathering, keep working, keep toiling. And while on the surface, even I think as Americans, we were like, well, that's not so bad. This was a very serious offense in the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was, was death. It was pretty serious. You see, the heart is incredibly deceitful, but the Sabbath has a way of revealing what we're really trusting. This command to stop and rest. And sometimes, even though it's easy to justify it, our inability to stop, to, to worship God, to say, I trust you, I, I, I believe in you and your promises, reveals to us that we're actually trusting in something else. This is how the Sabbath is a revealer. Think about this for us for a moment. Now, I want to clarify this before we start talking too much. Um, what I'm not, I don't believe that the Sabbath is a legalistic obligation that, that we have to fulfill in order to somehow be right with God. Can we just, let's just get that out, out, out the door, right? The Sabbath was really never given uh, to make people right with God, but that's how kind of it became, especially in, in the time right before Jesus arrived on the scene. It had become a very legalistic, lots of little rules, and you know, even to the point where some uh, really observant Jews wouldn't even press a button on an elevator. It, it, anyway, it can, it can be very legalistic, but that's not the heart of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not given to be a bunch of rules to further put burden upon human beings. The Sabbath was given as a gift to humanity, to, to restore us and invite us to en enjoy God and his good creation, to worship, really. But because of sin, it is now functioning as a revealer, kind of like the law was given for our benefit. There's good things about the law, but it, but it reveals sin, and it reveals that in us. Think about your own life for a moment. When you, when, if I were to ask you, you know, hey, uh, you know, on a, let's say once a week, let's set aside a day to just worship God, enjoy one another, and, and delight in his creation together, right? That's how, kind of how I would define Sabbath. Cease from our work, enjoy him together in worship, and then enjoy him in creation. 24 hours, right? I'm asking you to do that. What are the things that start coming to mind? Well, I, I would think that many of us would say, oh, that sounds great. That sounds lovely. But... Yeah, but, you know, I've got some really important work emails that just came in. And um, I think if I don't get to those, it might be bad for me on Monday. Um, or maybe others of, of you might say, uh, you know what, I, I, that sounds great. Yeah, but uh, what if I get bored? You know, what? I, 
kind of tired of just walk, you know, walking around in nature. Maybe I don't really want to sing those songs or whatever. whatever. What if I just get bored? And, and I kind of need to get on my phone and check Facebook. And, you know, what if somebody messages me? Or what if somebody liked my post from yesterday and I don't see it? You know, like, what, what about that? Or, or if I have little kids, what am I going to do with them? Like, do I have to pay attention to them? Like, does that mean they can't be on media? Like, during the, you know, like, what, what, is, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, but... Yeah, but, but what if I, I missed that call if I put my cell phone up today because I'm focusing on God and being present with his people and delighting in his Christian? What if I put my cell phone up and I missed that call and I missed that deal? And, and that money that I, I could even give it to the church, it, it doesn't come in. We, you know, we, we could go on and on for all these things that start coming up. Yeah, but, but we've got this, you know. What, but, but I love to travel and see the world and, and, and you're telling me each week I need a rhythm to be with the church and, and uh but, but, but what about, you know, my adventures? We could go on and on. You, you see how the Sabbath does its work of revealing? It starts to bring up tensions in our hearts of things that we start to realize, I don't know if I can live without that thing. I don't know if I can set it down even for 24 hours. We're not, by the way, living in a culture that promotes the ceasing of toil and work. If you didn't know that, we're in a 24-7 culture. We're in a pro- productivity culture that often values productivity over people and flourishing. We have phones in our pockets that want your attention as much as you'll give it to them. And here's what the Sabbath command does for us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how we bring it into our uh, New Testament, New Covenant context. But at first, before it's a restore, it's a revealer. And it begins, those little things in your heart that are tensions, not in a legalistic way, but in a sin-revealing way, it starts to show you what you're trusting in that you just can't stop. The little addictions, the little compulsivities that you just, you know, like, you're telling me this afternoon I just need to be with my kids and we can't watch TV and they can't be on a phone and, you know, we got to get outside or, you know, I'm not saying it has to be outside again. Or that we have to show up for worship and, you know, we want to go to the lake every, you know. All the little attachments and addictions start to be exposed in the Sabbath. Ultimately, what it's revealing to us in its revealing power is what are we trusting other than God? What is it that's determining how we spend our time? What's anchoring and guiding the whole of our life? Now, again, please don't hear me. Our, our hearts can get really legalistic, and that's not a good direction to go. But, but, but we still, that just because we're not legalistic doesn't mean we don't need to deal with the tensions of our own sinfulness and our way. We just read whole, you know, many verses about how deceitful our hearts are. Part of the Sabbath is the gift of revealing to you honestly what's really going on. What do you really think you have to have for this life? And what we can't stop and what we can't put down begins to show us. You know, if, if you can't, you know, so I, I have people in my family, I won't name names, uh, not in my immediate family, y'all relax, but, but that, that are cleaning people and, and the house always has to be immaculate. And, and it's just like, you know, can, can we put that away? Can we just let the house be messy today, right? Can I, can I stop the toil? Can I stop checking the email? Can I stop picking up my phone? 
Can I stop? You know, I know Sunday, I think uh, if, if, if Sundays is a day we're observing Sabbath, you know, there's a lot of good sports on, right? Today, right now, there's playoffs. I'm a Braves fan. Can I not watch that game? And again, I, I'm not saying legalistically there's a yes or no answer, but there might be something in my heart that I have to say, Ugh, what's pulling me to have to have that? This is the Sabbath as a revealer. And it was revealing Israel's sin, and it'll also reveal our sin, this call to rest and cease our work. See, this, this week when I was preparing for this, honestly, Sabbath is not a, a subject I love talking about. I don't think it's a cultural favorite, as I mentioned, for us. But as I was wrestling with this in my own heart, I realized even in our family, we've struggled to Sabbath well, even figuring out what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Um, we don't live in a Sabbath culture. It's, it's, it's kind of complicated. I kind of work on Sundays. Like this is, I mean, this isn't fully, you know, this is a different kind of work, but it's work for me. And so what does it mean for us to rest well? And we've tried maybe having Fridays as kind of our sacred days of family to, you know, to worship together, to, to delight in God and, and all those things. And, and yet we've realized that, man, we've got practices, we've got games, we've got all this stuff that's kind of pulling at our attention. And even realized, I came to the realization a few uh, weeks ago that, that probably Friday is not a good day for us to observe that. Maybe it needs to be Sunday through Monday for us. And again, all of us have to work this out on our own. It's not a legalistic rule. But we were, we were trying to figure out what, what could it look like mon- Sunday and Monday. And, and my heart went to, and this is, how, this is how deceitful we can be, my heart went to, but, but if I don't work on Monday, I'm going to get behind on my sermon or I'm going to get behind on my work. You, you see the tension that starts coming out? Will God provide for me? Am I trusting in my work? Am I trusting in my ability to get, be ahead and be disciplined? All those things, those aren't bad things, but they're not ultimate things. And for me, it brought up that tension of, maybe for me, one of the revealers is God saying, hey, trust me on Tuesday so you can, you can rest on Monday, <laughs> you know? I, I can't say, there's no, again, this isn't a legalism question, but for all of us, when we start to try to put that marker in the ground and say, what does a day of rest look like for our family? There will be tensions that come up. There will be things that are revealed. There will be, uh, there'll also be difficulties that are just things we can't control, right? Like Sabbath is not just a personal endeavor. It, is, it was a communal endeavor. It was the whole city that God called, right? Your, your family, you go back to our text, your, your family, your, your servants, your, all the people were meant to really engage in this together. And if you haven't noticed, our culture is not playing along with Sabbath, right? I don't even think, you know, other than Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, I don't know that, you know, uh, that, that many in our culture even have this on the radar. And so we've got to work through those challenges. How do we live in a 24-7 culture and be a Sabbath people? And there's no legalistic answer. I know some of you are, are paramedics and EMS and, and work in jobs that it doesn't always fall that you can be off on Sunday. It's not nice and neat all the time. But here's what I want to encourage you, to wrestle with it, to wrestle with those tensions that come up, not in a legalistic way, but to say, hey, might there be something in me Might there be an addiction, an attachment, a a trust in something that I just can't put down, that I just can't cease to rest from? Verses 24 through 26 begin to show us how the the Sabbath is, is not only a revealer, but it offers restoration for us and for the people of God to receive it. It says, 
But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from Shephelim and the hill country and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and grain offerings and frankincense and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you don't listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. You see, when we receive the gift of rest, ceasing from our work, focusing on worshiping God together, delighting with God in his creation, when we set aside time for that, we honor that rhythm, Jeremiah is telling the people of Israel that there is a city that will last and flourish, and it will be such a counterculture that the nations will come in and they'll wonder what is different about these people, and they're going to bring offerings and sacrifices, not to the people of Israel, but to their God. You see, the Sabbath isn't just for us to, to rest and have you know, self-care time. It's to part of our witness to the counterculture, to the culture around us. That, hey, the God, Yahweh, who we worship, ultimately for us, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not Pharaoh. He's not like the gods of the culture. He's a God who doesn't say you earn your way in. He, he, give, he graces your way in. And he's not a God who says work 24-7. He does say work, right? Six days a week. That's another sermon. We talk about the, the value of work. But he says rest. Rest. Some of you this morning are coming in here, and I, I could kind of feel it this morning. I felt it myself, just weary, just tired. I, I've been there. It's been a hard last couple years. You've been toiling. You've been working. You've been laboring. Some of it, some of it good, but some of it's a failure to rest, a failure to, to be able to stop and trust that it is finished. You see, we, we have not just the shadow of Sabbath, but we have the true substance of Sabbath that came in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, who came to take the penalty for Sabbath breakers who just couldn't put their addictions and their, their attachments to, to other things away, the people who, whose hearts were just constantly restless and looking to other lovers. He came and showed complete Trust, not in people, but in the Father. And he died and took the penalty for people who continued to break his law and commands. And he rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He poured out his Holy Spirit to give life. And he invites us not to work our way into his kingdom, but to receive a kingdom that has been prepared and given for us in Christ to stop and say, we trust that it is finished. We trust that God doesn't love us because I'm a good person, that he loves us because of Christ. 
that I can put my phone down, that I can put my control down, that I can trust him to provide for me next week, even if I don't open it up this afternoon. You see, Jesus comes to give us not just a day of rest, but a heart of rest. Later in Jeremiah, we're gonna, we'll talk about how he replaces this tablet of stone that has sin engraved on it with the, with, the, with the heart of flesh. Really, it's a heart filled with the Spirit of God so that now we can walk each day in that rest. Now, that doesn't erase that we need to have some time to actually cultivate that. But Jesus came to give us a state of Sabbath, a way of life that is Sabbath, so that even when we go back to work, we're working out of our rest in him. We're not anxiously, it's not like we rest and then we anxiously toil for six days. It's that, that day of rest and rhythm of looking to God and worship changes the way we work. We go out into the world as agents of reconciliation, as people who are walking at a different pace, who are serving a different king. And so here's the invitation I'll give you today. As Hebrews says in in chapter 4, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us wrestle with the tensions that come up. Let us strive and work and figure it out in our families, in our local church, in our unique context. What does it look like for us to enter into that rest that Christ gives? What does it look like for us to say, you know what? I'm putting my work down. You know what? I'm going to value worshiping with the people of God. You know what? We're going to take a walk today, family, and we're going to delight in God's good creation. I'm going to rest. Why? Because I trust in the finished work of Jesus. There is, there is nothing left to do. I can take a break. Maybe today you can even take a nap. If you have small kids, you can't. But, you know, by the way, you can't, it's not Sabbath to rest from your children. I, I thought that a long time ago. Like, hey, do we get a break from that? No, you know, no offense, kids. That's not Sabbath. They're part of that delighting family. But this is the invitation for us. This is, this is both the, the, the call and then the warning, right? If, what does Jeremiah say? If we don't heed that and rest, what does he say is going to happen to that city that doesn't rest? It's going to burn up. It's going to burn out. It's going to become like that shriveled bush in the desert that has no life. You know, some of you, you're coming in and you're feeling much more like that tree than the tree that's planted by streams of living water. And God's invitation begins with Sabbath, rest, cease, worship, delight. What what a radically different God than the gods of our culture. Really, God's command is, hey, would you come receive grace? Would you come let me be your everything? Would you, come, would you stop trying to look for me and yourself and other people, and would you let me be God? I'm a good God, and I love you. I gave my life for you. You can rest. This is the invitation that I think Jeremiah prepares us for. And I want to close with just, I know I'm probably going over on time. There's a lot of text today, so give me a break there. Um, <laughs> We didn't even get into all of it. But, but I want to close with just inviting us to imagine because of what Jesus has done, not because of an Old Testament law, not because of some idealistic Sabbatarian theology, 
But because God's inviting us to rest, what could that look like for us as a community, right? Let's, let's dream a little bit about what it could look like to rest together. And I want you to just, you know, maybe, maybe Sunday doesn't work for you, but let's imagine it does. I want you to imagine just a, a day that you say, you know what, this morning we're waking up and we're not, we're not on our phones. We're putting our phones away. Today, uh, we're not going to check email. Today, we're maybe going to, when before we go to church, we're going to stop and we're going to pray. We're going to thank God that we get to go gather with the church. We're going to prioritize going and being with God's people, not because it's got great speakers and preachers or lights and smoke or they entertain us or you have great kids programs, but because God invites us to come and receive grace from his word. And we're going to protect that because we think it's valuable. We think it's a life-giving source. We're going to worship with the people of God. We're going to sing our hearts out. We're going to confess what we believe. We're going to hear his word preached over us and be reminded of who we are. And after we gather, maybe we, we're not in a rush to go somewhere because we've kind of said no to other things. In fact, today is God's day. It's the Lord's day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And we're going to linger at church a bit. We're going to sit in the parking lot and have a 20-minute conversation because we don't have places to rush off to. And when we get home, we're not just going to turn on the TV and watch hours of sports, talking to myself. But we're going to be together as a family. Maybe when we have dinner, it's going to be a special dinner. Maybe we even kind of prepared it beforehand so mom doesn't have to be in the kitchen for an hour and a half, but she can rest too. And we're going to enjoy good food. And we're going to give glory to God. We're going to say thank you that all of life is given. And we're going to offer back to you our praise. Maybe we're going to invite a neighbor over. We're going to invite a neighbor to come in and enjoy this rest with us. Maybe we're going to invite some people from church over to enjoy it with us. Maybe you need to rest from that one, one week, though, right? Tonight, before we go to bed, because we have nothing else to do and we've been bored and we've been turning off media today, we're going to, we're going to go to God's Word as a family. Or I'm going to go to, if I live alone, I'm going to go to God's Word and spend some intentional time worshiping Him. I'm not going to treat Sunday morning as if it checked the box. And then the rest of life is just kind of doing whatever. It's toiling away. Now, listen. I know, please, don't go idealistic on me. I just want to cast a vision for the invitation, though. What if we became a people in a church where we said together, we're going to wrestle with this, we're going to wrestle with the tensions, and we're going to be a people who rest in Christ. We're going to be people who sometimes the culture around us, why, why, why won't you, what, what are, what's going on? Well, I'm just worshiping God today. I'm sorry, right? What, what if we became that? For the people around us in our city who are drowning in busyness, who are working for pharaohs and, and gods that never give them rest, never satisfy. And we could point to the God who gives rest, the one who says, it is finished. The promise, the rest is there, and the invitation is given for us to walk in it day by day and to observe it in a weekly rhythm not because it earns our favor with God, but because he wants to spend time with us, really. Will we enter that rest together? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we know that our hearts are prone to, uh, to toil away. Some of us maybe to work. Some of us just to escape, just into 
mindless entertainment and surfing and all those things that, Lord, honestly, don't give us rest. But we do believe that when we come and we sit around your word and when we delight in you and when we worship you and when we just, we just enjoy creation with you, that you restore our souls, that you in fact make us a tree that is planted by streams of living water so that when the hard things of life do come, when the heat does bear down, we would continue to bear fruit. We would continue to see your work in us and we would continue to be a light to our neighbors into the city. So Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that in all the unique circumstances we live, you would give us wisdom and you would give us invitation to cease our work, to worship you and delight in your good gifts. Holy Spirit, we need you. We do not want to burn down, burn out, and exhaust ourselves. We want to be fruitful. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.